Hi, everyone. It's your podcast host, Jim Andrews, here with a reminder that the Ticket Manager Partner Summit is back. We'll be getting together in person on October 17th this year at the Times Center in New York City. This is a free, invitation-only event where hundreds of business leaders across the world's most influential brands in sports, sponsorship, live events, and ticketing gather to make great connections and share valuable information. Approved attendees enjoy exclusive networking events, insightful panels, and exciting celebrity speakers, all for free. Are you interested in attending? Just go to ticketmanager.com for details on how to apply. to Ticket Manager's all-access interview series, engaging leaders from across the sports marketing spectrum to identify and explore critical issues in the business of sports, entertainment, sponsorship, activation, ticketing, hospitality, and even more. I'm your host, Jim Andrews. Joining me on this episode is Tony Schiller, co-founder of Paragon Marketing Group, an agency and consultancy whose roots go back more than 25 years now. Tony leads strategic consulting at Paragon. He's been instrumental in negotiating and bringing partnerships to life for clients such as United Airlines, Gatorade, PNC Bank, UC Health, Zenny, Dix. The list is, 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 is quite long. Additionally, over the past dozen or so years, Tony's been involved in advising a lot of uh, startups uh, in our in, in industry. He, he's a mentor to uh, young professionals in our industry, and I couldn't be more excited to spend a few minutes talking to him today. Tony, welcome. Great to have you with us. Thanks, Jim. You make me feel old, but I guess that's only because I've been around for 25 plus years in the industry. But you and I have known each other for a long time in, in, in all sincerity, and I've always enjoyed our dialogue. So I really appreciate the opportunity to connect. Yeah, likewise. Why don't we just start out, Tony, with just a, a brief update on, on Paragon today? You know, clients, key projects, new new things you've got going on. Just uh, just give us uh, a refresh. Honestly, that that could take the the entire session. We're, we're in a really healthy phase of our business, as I was just sharing with you uh, offline before we started. We just moved into a new office in the Loop in Chicago. Very exciting time to see our company evolve physically in a new environment. And as we're coming back from the pandemic, to see close to 100 plus people to be able to engage in person every day and share energy and share curiosity and share experience and share challenge. It's so healthy and and important. We um, split our business really on two sides, um, consulting, working with big brands, as, as you mentioned, several of them Brands like Gatorade and UC Health and PNC and US Steel and Giant Eagle and Highmark Health and, and Zenny Optical. And I'm, I'm sure I'm forgetting a few as I normally do. Another side of our business is in content and producing live events. Our longest standing and most significant partner in the content space is ESPN. We're in partnership with ESPN and have been with them for 20 plus years, uh, predominantly in the high school space. So if you watch any live high school broadcast on Espen or any any of the Espen channels, any live high school football, basketball, baseball, lacrosse, softball, volleyball, with a few exceptions, that's Paragon. Right. And uh, that side of our business has just exploded the last few years. 
It started in, I believe it was 2001 or 2002. We put LeBron on TV when he was in high school. And that literally was an astronomical success beyond what anyone forecasted. And we were, that, that game took place at Cleveland State and we were in the basement of Cleveland State University. And one of the executives from ESPN communicated kind of quietly and gingerly to my partner, Rasha Ghazi, can we do more of these? <laughs> and we went from that one broadcast to we've done over 700 live, maybe it's 800 live broadcast at this point, both linear TV as, as well as uh, streaming. It's a tremendous area of, of growth. And the, the interest and concentration on high school sports and high school athletes it has just been seen massive growth the, the last few years. And it, it's been a fun to be a part of that. I can imagine. And, and, and I do recall that uh, all, all those years ago. And, and I, I was probably pretty skeptical at the time, but uh, uh, definitely been proven wrong in terms of the, the appetite for, for high school sports. So so good for you. And uh, yeah, and just back back to your first point, it, it's kind of nice to, to, to talk to somebody who's who's in an office setting again and not not uh, all of us uh, being stuck at home 24 seven like like we were. So, uh, yeah, the new the new digs look uh, look great down there. I'd like to, to talk about the, the consulting side uh, of the business for just a, a couple of minutes, Tony, because it's something that, that that I have some experience in. So obviously an, an interest of mine. And and like you said, I mean, that, that, that list of clients is, uh, is, is really awesome. But what would you say today are the biggest challenges in consulting with, with brands? And, and, and maybe how do you uh, uh, how do you meet and, and overcome some of those? Well, I, I wouldn't say there's one primary challenge. There, there's several primary challenges. You, you've got the the competition of attention. For the, the CMO has so many people coming at him or her with so many opportunities, so many ideas, so many challenges, so many needs. And how do you coalesce all of that with a strategic focus? So that's something that we see a lot is we have a great opportunity and we have buy-in, but our clients need to secure the buy-in from the CMO. And, and again, it may take days, weeks, months to get on her or his calendar and help them understand the opportunity. So the velocity of what's happening at any given time is wild. Yeah. And great point. There also is what's what's exciting and new evolution in our space is that it used to be that there was a sponsorship person and maybe a person or two in marketing that understood the potential power and impact of, of sponsorship. Now people in sales and digital and social and PR and experiential and community, they're all understanding the power of sponsorship. And consequently, they're all dabbling in sponsorship. And sometimes that's a tremendous accelerant to making things happen internally, but sometimes that also can be a challenge because people step out of their boxes. They may not have the purview, the resources, or the understanding of, of what they're potentially unleashing. So th there's a lot of people in many companies that want to be involved in sponsorship. And again, that, that, that can be a, a great assist. And sometimes that can be a little bit of a harness to, to getting things done. 
Oh, absolutely. In fact, I, I wrote a blog post probably just a few weeks ago where I think I said something like uh, the, the greatest strength of sponsorship is the fact that it is connected to all of those different other parts of, of the enterprise that you just mentioned. And sometimes, unfortunately, it can be the greatest weakness um, for the reasons that you just mentioned. So I, I hear you on that. I'm going to pull out uh, a quote from you from about a dozen years ago, fairly or unfairly. This um, is never good. Never good. <laughs> you're, you're, you've been forewarned. But back in 2011, in SBJ, you were quoted as saying, too many sponsorship deals are done without a strategy. And I would definitely have agreed 100% uh, at, that, at that time. I'm wondering for you, has that changed? Or do you think that's still, still true in a lot of cases? There's been an interesting evolution and growth of understanding relative to how to leverage a sponsorship. And certainly 10, 15, 20 plus years ago, and again, I'm dating myself, a lot of executives were content with having the big sign in left field and having their name in lights and then maybe receiving some great tickets and maybe a, a few jerseys or whatever else to make people feel important. And I, I think that the industry has become more sophisticated while the industry has also become much more expensive. And you take sophistication, you take experience, expertise, data analytics, and multi-million dollars to engage in a long-term partnership, strategy becomes essential then because there's more eyes, there's more layers and levels looking at what are you doing, what's going to be the forecasted yield, and show us the yield and how we're measuring it. So I, I still think buying a sponsorship without a strategy is basically like throwing your money out the window. And we're seeing less and less companies do that. And smart companies are defining their strategies before they engage in a partnership. They're engaging with the other business units that we talked about, whether it's sales or HR or community or marketing or digital, et cetera, engaging with them understanding their objectives and helping them understand, here's how we can service your needs with a sponsorship. And then applying all that information as a platform moving forward to then go negotiate a partnership and buy the assets that are needed in service of those established objectives, rather than buying the assets the team or the property wants to sell. That is more likely to yield a successful partnership than engaging in negotiations, buying a sponsorship. Even if you buy a quote unquote smart sponsorship, if you don't know what your strategy is going in, how can you be effective in buying the right assets at the right price? I want to uh, digress and talk about something that you and I were talking about offline. And then if we have some time, we'll kind of come back to uh, some sponsorship related questions. But I know from talking to you, a big topic of uh, personal interest for you is, is leadership and, and all that that word encompasses in business, whether that's helping to uh, advance uh, people's careers, creating positive cultures, developing soft skills, you know, and the sports business, like like all all businesses, has great leaders, terrible leaders, uh, and and a bunch of folks in in between. My question for you is: Do you think it's particularly challenging 
in our business, uh, in, in the sports business, the entertainment business, to to nurture people and, and allow them to be their their authentic selves? Nurturing people and helping people evolve to be the best person they can be in that moment, that's really, really hard. Yeah. We, we, we're all challenged to do that as an individual. And to be able to understand your own vulnerabilities, your, your own emotional variables, and to arrive at a healthy place so you can be a healthy leader, that, that's really challenging. And then to take your teammates, your workforce, coming out of a pandemic. So as a society, there's, there's more aggregated collective anxiety and more, more off-balance energy and off-balance people. So you're, you're talking about a topic that I could spend hours on. So I hope I can go off on a tangent for a moment. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. In my opinion, it's important to help people feel comfortable, which means allowing vulnerabilities, acknowledging them, and most importantly, letting people know you don't have to be the smartest person in the room. You don't have to be the loudest voice in the room. You can screw up today and tomorrow and the next day, and we're going to nurture and teach and educate. And helping people feel comfortable and confident that they're in a safe environment where they can show their true selves, where they can ask questions, they can demonstrate vulnerability, they can demonstrate, I don't know this, where they can put out a wild idea or a challenge, or they can actually go to someone and say, you know what, I'm overwhelmed, or I've got something going on at home. The more, in my opinion, you can create a culture of, of understanding and collective support and, and true teamwork and camaraderie, camaraderie, excuse me, the more you're going to be able to bring out the best in people and in teams. And this is a demanding industry, like most are. Whether you're on the team side and you know it costs hundreds of millions of dollars to operate a team, so there is a challenge to bring in revenue, or whether you're a brand and you're shepherding spending tens of millions and you need to show the value in return for what you're investing or you're on the agency side on either side of the property or brand equation and and, and you're helping them be successful and the cycles are, are quick and you need to demonstrate value in a short amount of time and to do that when you're not comfortable is not healthy and not sustainable. So it's 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 my perspective that the more you can help people feel healthy and comfortable and confident and safe, the more you're going to see their best productivity, the best performance. Yeah, I, I mean, I would echo that. And you know, you and I graduated college and, and entered the workforce uh, the same year. We won't talk about how how many years ago that was, but um, you know, and it, it you know, cliche, right? It was a different time, and you know, I remember just kind of putting my head down and putting the hours in and just, you know, that, that was the the path to being what I, you know, I thought successful, not paying attention to whether I was accepted in the office or not. And, and really, I, I'll be honest, you know, when I, when I finally did come out uh, at work back in uh, the late 1980s, things got easier, you, you know, then that was not the expectation at the time. So I think that's a great reflection of, of what you were just saying. You know, and I think now it's, you know, there is there is kind of that generational aspect where, again, you know, 
we maybe you know people in, in in our demographic didn't necessarily prioritize the soft skills and work life balance and, and and all of that. So we have really had to go through quite a learning curve to to really understand what the what the needs are uh, for people in the workforce uh, today. But I, I guess the question is then you know how. <laughs> And, and this is probably an unfair question. I don't think there's an easy answer. You know, how do you know that you're kind of striking the right balance between, it, I don't want to say pushing people necessarily, but, but you know, making sure that you've got people who are meeting those goals in order for the organization to, uh, to survive and, and thrive. But at the same time, you know, giving them kind of the space that, that they might need, depending on what's going on in, in their personal lives. We've always been very focused from day one on defining objectives. What are we trying to achieve? And that starts with the client. What are they trying to achieve? What are their objectives? What are they trying to achieve with each investment? We do the same thing as an agency. We do the same thing with account teams. We do the same team, same thing with individuals. So it's very easy once you have that construct in place of understanding what you're trying to achieve as an agency, as an account team, as an individual, it's very easy to look at performance. And we're also very big on timelines and roles and responsibilities. We work collaboratively on every account. We may have three, four, in some cases, 30 people working on an account, but we all know collectively, here's what we're doing. She may have responsibilities A and B. He may have responsibilities C and D, et cetera. And we may know that that she's going to deliver A by March 15th and B by June 15th. So all of that is crystal clear and open and communicated and defined. So we know as we're rolling up to March 15, if she is not making good progress on A, we're going to address that. And we're going to address that directly and candidly and we need to understand if your challenge is it because you don't understand the project is there a third party that's not carrying their weight and someone can help you nudge that relationship? Is the client not giving you the information or the data that you need to fulfill your responsibility? So we're rigid in performance, but we're very soft in culture. If that makes sense. No, it does. It really does. And 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 as you say, I mean that that the collaboration is so important and the communication uh, is so important so that people are you know, raising their hand if something looks like that that March 15th deadline isn't going to be made. Okay, how do we adjust and make sure that it it is made? Right. Uh, whether that's bringing somebody else in to help or whatever. And that, that's part of our culture is there's tremendous levels of accountability. And part of accountability can be, I'm overwhelmed. I don't understand. Something's in the way. That's That's being a great team player. If March 15th rolls around and that's when you communicate that she wasn't responsive and he didn't provide what I needed and I was overwhelmed, we all lose that. Right. That's not acceptable. So we try and provide every element of healthy culture to ensure that we all are accountable to ourselves, to our teammates, to our agency, to our clients, to the marketplace. We're also great partners to the properties we work with. We're not adversarial. We we look at it as we're in business with the New York Yankees or the Chicago Bears, whomever it may be, we're here to help them succeed as much as our clients are hoping to succeed. So accountability is 
a necessary element for everything we do. So there are some really challenging aspects of our culture, and then there are very developmental, soft, long-term, healthy elements of our culture. Let me just pivot back and, and ask you, because again, with your experience and, and, and your, kind of your position with the, working with brands, as well as uh, the events that you're producing, are there any particular trends or things that you're just keeping an eye on that you think are, are especially important right now for, for sports marketers? Well, something that I think is really exciting, and it, it's been going on for a few years, but I think we're, we're seeing it uh, impact industry more right now is the development of, of personalities as brands. And I, I intentionally didn't say athletes because you're seeing it in music and entertainment as well, but celebrities as their own platforms is becoming more and more meaningful and more and more necessary as part of a portfolio because you can reach certain audiences and do certain things with a celebrity's brand that you ne- you couldn't necessarily do with just a traditional property team partnership. So I, I think over the next few years, you're going to see more and more athletes, more and more celebrities creating extensions of their brand platform. And you could see their own podcast, their own production, their own content, their own events, their own experientials, as well as broader teams supporting that individual's platform. I think you're right. And and something I've been looking at in that context too is now the kind of the the, the personality intersecting with, with ownership. So, you know, when we look at all of the, whether it's Hollywood stars or athletes after their playing careers getting involved in, in owning everything from, from European soccer clubs to pickleball teams, the potential there to, again, leverage the, the platform that they already have, their personal brands, uh, and, and put that to work for the partners that might also be interested in, in, in the team or the league or, or an event that, they're, that those people are involved in, you know, really kind of opens up a lot of opportunities that didn't exist before. Yeah, you're seeing um, individuals, some still playing like LeBron or, or The Rock or Shaq that have unbelievably dynamic enterprises where they are not only invested, but actively involved strategically and executionally in a myriad of brands and the the impact of someone like The Rock is is such an accelerant to a brand's performance, and people are seeing that, and they want, and that's why you're seeing Tom Brady in pickleball and Tom Brady getting a piece of of the Raiders. People are recognizing the power of of these athletes and their platform and their resources, and I, I think that we're it's still very nascent. We're going to see so much more of that in the next decade plus. Overall, you mentioned uh, you know, before the, the role of the CMO and, and and all of the things that they've got coming at them, and and you know how marketing has become uh, much more sophisticated, much more complicated, and all of the, the tools that are, that are out there. Overall, would you say you're you're optimistic or or pessimistic about sponsorships, partnerships, kind of remaining an important marketing tool and an important revenue stream uh, for properties? It's the easiest question you post. Uh, I'm very optimistic. The the focus now is on relationships, experience, and engagement and sustaining all of that. And while traditional media is an important component of that equation, traditional media isn't the driver. Sponsorship and the assets and the activation of those assets 
really are the driver of experience of a relationship of engagement. And we're realizing as a marketing collective that we need to understand you. And that's why there's so many mechanisms for one-to-one relationships from brand to consumer. We need to understand where your affinities are. And once we understand that predominantly our, our target audience has an affinity for and whether that's bowling or barbecue or basketball or ballet, once we understand where the macro affinities are, it's so much easier to give you what you want and therefore develop a relationship with you. We know that you like barbecue. Well, we can give you barbecue content. We can take you to barbecue experiences and we can have our brand name all over the barbecue festivals across the nation. And then when we know that that's an affinity you have, we can give you more exposure to content and experience and opportunities and access. So I think sponsorship is just going to become more and more part of the marketing mix. And it's becoming much more sophisticated relative to data data and analytics leading to the right properties, the right assets and the right activation. As a, as a sponsorship proponent, I'm glad to hear you say that. I can't let you go without asking something you just kind of uh, hinted at when we talk about data and analytics and, and we mentioned return on, on investment a little bit earlier. You, know, you and I, again, been, been doing this for a long time, seen lots of, of attempts to, uh, uh, to kind of figure out the best ways to, to, to measure performance of sponsorships and partnerships. Right now, would you give a, a passing grade to sponsors in terms of, uh, of, of how good a job that they do on, on understanding how their partnerships are performing? I'm glad you put it that way. You said passing, which means pass-fail as opposed to a grade. And I would give the industry, and when I say the industry, I mean properties, brands, agencies, and the measurement companies, the third-party data analytics and measurement companies, a passing grade. Uh, all kidding aside, you and I have been doing this for a long time, and I, I've seen some measurement tools, methodologies, and results that just were not in any way associated with reality. Yeah. Uh, just because so many eyeballs could have seen that sign, that courtside sign on TV, and that equates to $32 million of, of value, that sign's not worth $32 million. Right. And for someone to publish that, just that's just not realistic or meaningful or helpful right or helpful um but there are there are a handful handful plus of new agencies in that space with new technology new methodologies groups like block six and trajectory that are that are doing some really cool things and some grounded in reality methodologies that are helpful for the industry helpful for the teams and the brands and the agencies. So I think that there is a collective understanding that we need data. There's a collective understanding that we need more data. And there's a collective understanding that we need efficient, authentic data. Couldn't agree more and continue this conversation for for quite some time. But I know you've got uh, a bunch of stuff on your plates. And uh, so I'm going to say just thank you so much for for spending a, a nice chunk of time with us today. I think uh, the audience will get a lot out of this conversation, and and I know you and I will will continue it in in various forms as we, as we move on. So just thanks thanks so much, Tony. Really appreciate it, and uh, great to see you. My pleasure. Truly enjoyed it. Thanks, Jim. All right. And on behalf of uh, everyone at Ticket Manager, I want to thank all of you for watching and listening. And to remind you to please join us again for the next episode in the All Access interview series.